Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to be in your house this morning. God, we know, we always know you have something to say to us if we really want to hear it and we will respond to it. And God, I just pray now that you'll help us, Lord, to be attentive, to be open, and, uh, and God, to, to hear you today. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. Guys, I am, uh, I am convinced from my study of the Bible and from my years of being a Christian, there's three things that are the most important things to your life. Three things that matter ultimately uh, eternally, but also for your life and well-being here on this earth. Here's the first one. The first one is to have a relationship with Christ. That's where it all starts. We call that becoming a Christian, being born again. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. You don't have a foundation. You don't have your eternity secure. It's having a relationship with Christ, number one. Number two is to have a growing relationship with Christ. See, it's not just enough to buy fire insurance to say, well, I'm not going to go to hell when I die. That's a great thing. But if Jesus has really come into your life... You need a growing relationship with Christ. Here's the problem with a lot of people in our room this morning is that you have been born again, but for whatever reason, something happened, and you stop growing. You're, you, don't, you, you don't have a dynamic relationship with Christ this morning like maybe you once had or you need to have. That's, that's the second. That's, you've got to have that. Here's the third thing, and that's making good decisions. I believe with all my heart your life hinges on these three things, on your relationship with Christ, it growing, and you making good decisions. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3 this morning. If you have your Bible, if you don't, the Scriptures will be on the screen. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and, they call, he, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Look at verse 15. And to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to he gave the name Peter. James, and the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to him he gave this unusual name, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. In 18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphys, Thaddeus. Isn't that an interesting name? How many of you know a Thaddeus today? Thaddeus Smith, he lives in... Do you, you, nobody knows a Thaddeus, do you? Do you really? Josh, your middle name, Josh? Josh Thaddeus, Thaddeus Anderson? I've never heard of anybody named Thaddeus. That's cool, though. Okay. Simon, sorry I asked. I got hammered on that one. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Okay, here's what's going on. Jesus had just duked it out with the Pharisees in the synagogue, and now he is at a crucial time in his ministry, and it says he goes to the mountains. Now, where we believe, looking on a little map, he is probably, there's the Sea of Galilee here. They're in the area of Galilee, and he probably goes, it doesn't give a specific mountain, so it's probably some of these hills around the Sea of Galilee, and he goes up there to make a decision. Here's his decision. He is going to decide who his 12 apprentices are going to be. He's fixing to pick 12 men who are going to be with him day and night. He's going to teach them. He's going to pour his life into them. He's going to model for them. And listen, when he dies and goes back to heaven, these are the 12 
going to be 11, who are going to carry on the mission from this point on. It was a huge decision. Scholars believe by this time in Jesus' ministry, he had hundreds, maybe as many as thousands of people that had been gathering around him and following him. So Jesus, it wasn't like, okay, there's 14, I need to pick 12. That makes it easy, doesn't it? Or there's, there's, there's 15, I got to get 12. Well, I don't, three of them, there's no way, so we'll go with these. It wasn't like that. It was a huge decision. Again, it was going to be the people that he was saying, uh, apostles, that means one sin out. These are the guys that are going to take the message when he goes back to heaven. Huge thing, huge thing. And this morning, some of you are are probably facing some big decisions today. You've got some things on your your mind or your heart, and and they're going to really impact your life in the days ahead. Some of you may not be facing big decisions today, but if you live much longer, you certainly will. Here's a great quote I heard years ago. We make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. We make choices, and then our choices make us. Justin, who is our band leader and our college uh, minister, said to me this week, he, he had heard a quote several years back where a person said, bad decisions today limit decisions and opportunities tomorrow. Did you get that? You make bad choices, bad decisions today, it limits your opportunities or your choices for the future. So guys, if you care, and I believe with all my heart you do care, if you want to have the life God intended for you to have, it will not happen by accident. It's going to happen when you follow these three things I've mentioned, and we're going to focus on this last one, making good decisions. So here's the key. How do you make good decisions? I want you to see a man on the street video, which I think really is reflective of our society today, where people answer the question how they make good decisions. What process do you go through in your life when you have a tough decision to make? Well, at my age, all I can tell you is I've made a lot of them. You just have to slow yourself down and think the pros and cons and evaluate the, you know, the entire situation. Well, there's a lot of deliberation and, you know, just think about it for a while. Maybe take some notes, research some things, uh, you know, weigh the pros and cons and then go for it after you've made a decision. How it's going to affect me and when it's going to affect me. Like if it's going to matter in six days or six months or even six years from now. But ultimately just think of it on my own for a while. My- you know, to see if I can figure out a solution myself. But um, if I don't feel confident in my own decision, then I would talk to a friend or a relative, somebody close to me that knows me well. Uh, I'm sure I do. I mean, I'm not, I guess I'm not really aware of it. But, uh, I mean, you know, if you think about that sort of thing. and uh... um, I call my mom. <laughs> and... I just don't think about it until I have to. Well, I usually, actually, it sounds corny, but I do make a list of the positives and the negatives, and that's what my mom always taught me to do, and the positives outweigh the negatives, then I go for it. If they don't, then, you know, I give it a second thought, and if I still can't find enough positives, then it's not a decision to be made. I'm not really good at making decisions. I usually get it from other people. I like that one dude, he goes, I really hadn't thought about it. He looked like he hadn't thought about it, didn't he? Okay, some of those, some of those ideas were good. Some of them were pretty weak. 
Good decisions do not just happen. You don't, you don't get to a certain place with God. Wow, ooh, I, now I'm so spiritual that it just happens. Poof, you know, I make. No, no. And let me tell you this. The devil's going to fight. Young people, listen. The devil's going to fight you making good decisions deeply and hardly. He's going to fight you hard, okay? How do we make good godly decisions? Let's look at Jesus who was perfect not only in what he said but in everything he did. Here's the first word, and the word's time. T-I-M-E. Verse 13, Jesus went on to a mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Folks, this story is told in Matthew 10 and Mark 3 and in Luke 6. And each story uh, is, tells the same story, but it gives a little different flavor to it. And the thing you get in Matthew is that this was not at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It was in Matthew 10. I mean, you had the Sermon on the Mount. You had a lot of things happen before this. And so Jesus didn't just wake up one day and go, Shazam, I need to get 12 guys to help me with this. This is too much to do. And by the way, who's going to do this when I'm gone? And I, well, I think I'll go up and pray tonight, and then I'll come back with 12. He, he had spent some time with the these people and wrestling with this decision. Several years back, I was at a conference, and Dr. Stephen Sample, who was the president at University of Southern California at the time, was speaking, and he was talking about decision-making, and here's something he said that I'd never heard. He said, when he's got to make a decision, if he can put it off, he does. Well, everybody in the conference kind of set up because, you know, we'd always been told that good leaders are decisive. They make good decisions and they make them quickly. You know, you, you don't put things off. You don't procrastinate. My wife says, I'm a procrastinator. She's right. I am. But what Dr. Samples went on to say was, if he doesn't have to make a, de- a major decision by five today and he can sleep on it and pray on it and think on it another day, another three days, another four days, he does. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Listen, especially young people, too. You think about this. Don't let somebody back you in a corner. You got, you're going to marry me? You've got to decide by tonight at 6. Well, then say, my decision is no. Or somebody's offering you a job or someone's trying to pressure you to do something. You Obviously, you can't say, I'll tell you in 2015. I mean, you, you've got to decide But time should be your friend. Don't let someone force you to make a decision before you are ready to make a good decision. Time is the first thing. Bible is the second word. Jesus went into this knowing his Bible. His Bible was the Old Testament. Genesis through Malachi, he knew it well. Folks, if you're a Christian or you go, you know, I'm I'm wanting to become a Christian and I want to do things God's way, then the Bible is your boundary. It's your parameters for making your decisions. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It's a guide for me as I go through life is what it's saying. The Bible will help you in two ways. One, the Bible does give you some specific things as you're making a decision. Now, I'm not making this up, but I promise you there are Christian men and Christian women this next week somewhere in the world that are going to pray this to God or they're going to talk to somebody. Well, I... I'm really thinking about leaving my spouse to go be with this other woman or this other man. What, what do you think God wants me to do? Don't pray about that. You know why? Because God has already said in the Bible, don't do it, right? Young people, you're praying about, well, I may be a Christian marijuana dealer when I grow up. Well, unless you move to Colorado, where I guess you could be, it's illegal. It's not God's plan for your life, Okay. 
Well, I, you know, I'm struggling whether, you know, at work, whether I should take a little money. Really, it does belong to me. They don't pay me enough. And, and no, you don't have to pray about that. It, the Bible's specific. Listen, the Bible, and we're going to look what you do in the Bible's not specific in a moment, some, some ways you can find God's will. But when God's already said it in his word, you don't have to pray about it, okay? It's clear. Now, some things, again, the Bible's not going to give you clear direction, but the Bible gives you boundaries, mor- morality. You do things with honesty. You're not a hypocrite. You, you, you do things with integrity, okay? So the Bible will help you in your decision-making. It gives you parameters. Does that make sense? Parameters, okay? Here's the third thing. Use your noggin. Use your head. Use your head. You know, again, when we look at the Scriptures, we never want to read into something that's not there, but we have to, we have to know this. Jesus thought through things that he did. In fact, another place in Luke, Jesus said clearly, before you go build a tower, before you go to war, you need to count the cost. You need to figure out what's involved before you run ahead and do something you're not ready to do. Use your head. Let me give you two ways that you use your head. One is you talk to other people. And you don't just talk to anybody. You, you talk to people who love God, who are wise, and people who love you. And, and sometimes that may not be, you, I don't want you to bypass your parents, young people, but sometimes you have to, maybe you talk to a minister or a teacher or a coach or you talk to someone who can be objective with you. I have two friends that one lives in Tennessee, one lives in, in, uh, in California, and they love God, and they love me, and they're objective. I mean, I could call them tomorrow and say, I'm thinking about being a chaplain for the, uh, the pipeline in Alaska, and they would say, here's what you need to think about, you need to consider. Cindy's not going to be as objective about that probably. Uh, my mother wouldn't be objective about that. Talk to people. The pros and cons list of writing down, just looking at it on paper. We're going to see in a moment this in the end all, but it's good. What are the pluses of this decision? What would be the negatives? I want to show you. This is just, uh, uh, obviously, this is a fake thing, but let's say I'm, I'm praying about opening up a Bluebell ice cream store in Ruston. How many of you are for that? First Baptist people get a discount, obviously. You show your tithe card, and you get a little, little discount. Okay, let's show them my list. I've talked to some friends. Cindy st- starts it off, and she says, no way. She doesn't want me to have fun. I know that. Okay, Josh, yes, if I can eat free. Okay. Zach Yates, yes, if I can eat free. Okay, we expected that from those three. Teddy Allen, friend of mine, stupid idea, but can I write about it? He's a writer. Okay, so that's, that's my friends. Now, let's look at a pros and cons list. A pros and cons list. I love the product. I could promote the product. I would have fun doing this. Let's look at a cons list. I would gain lots of weight. I would eat a lot of the profits. Not good. I would be promoting gluttony and rusting. I have no time for this, and I have no money for this. Those last two cons would be big, wouldn't they? Uh, Especially when you don't have time or you don't have money. Now, again, I'm going to give you something just a second. This is going to sound crazy. It's going to completely supersede the pros and cons list, but it, it doesn't hurt to put on paper and look at your decision. It's certainly wise to talk to people who love you, who love God, and who have your best interest at heart who can give you some objective feedback, okay? Now, here's number four, and this is the biggie of the biggie, prayer and lots of it. You go, how can I make godly decisions? 
How can I make good decisions? The Bible's my boundary. I never go against the Word of God. God's never going to tell me anything in prayer that contradicts the Bible, okay? I give it time. I let, let it materialize. I talk to others. I even write down on paper the pros and the cons. But the bottom line is, is that God and I have to settle the decisions in our hearts and our life. In verse 13, Jesus went to a mountain, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Now, let's look at, at Luke's version of this same story in Luke 6. Verse 12, listen, okay, I want y'all to read this out loud with me, okay? One of those days, okay, hold it there just a second. Go back to verse 12. And, and spent what? Okay, go to verse 13. And then when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose the 12 who he designated apostles. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they tell the same story. They're just coming from different eyewitnesses. It's perfect, but they're given different views of what happened. Now, guys, when, when Jesus got ready, the, the, the human God Jesus, he's God, he's man, and you certainly see the humanity of him in here, when he got ready to choose the people he was going to pour his life into, the people that were going to go out and change the world if everything went well, he didn't just say, God lead me, amen. I think one, he'd been praying about it for a long time. But right before the decision, the Bible says he spent the night in prayer. It's literally the picture of the old days before maybe you had a hospital or you were in a small community that didn't have a hospital where a doctor might go and sit with a patient all night and talk to that patient, listen to that patient, check on that patient. It's the idea of, of, of talking to someone and listening to someone and interacting. And, and that's, what, that's what was going on here. Jesus was, man, he was grinding it out with God to say, God, I, I know practically, I, I understand the Old Testament, but God, show me and tell me what you want me to do. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're not, you can become one today. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God lives in you, okay? So God can speak in an audible voice, but normally he doesn't. One way God speaks to us is in our hearts, by giving us a peace about things or an uneasiness about things. Colossians 3.15 is a great verse. The very first part of it, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, the word rule there literally means to umpire. Now, oftentimes in our society, we think of an umpire referee as someone who needs glasses and who makes bad decisions, right? But in the perfect world, the umpire, the referee is someone who calls the game, who, who, who decides what's right or what's wrong or who should get the decision or who should not. And, and guys, here's what, here's what happens when you seek God and you pray what the Holy Spirit will do if you're listening is he will give you a peace in your heart about something or he will give you an uneasiness in your heart about something. And to violate that peace or that uneasiness is to violate what God is saying to you in your heart. Now, I said this a few weeks ago. you got to get your heart in neutral when you come to making decisions. How many of you are like me? When you get ready to make a decision and you know what you want to do, it's hard to be neutral, isn't it? I mean, really, you're going to God and saying, God, show me what you want me to do, but thank you, you want me to do this. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And see, and it's easy. Oh, I hear it all the time. God led me. God led me. God told me. A lot of times, no, you have indigestion. 
Uh, or a lot of times you just know you're just doing what you want to do. And if you say God led me or God told me, then that puts a stamp on it that nobody can, nobody can, can oh, dare challenge you on that, can they? Get your heart in neutral. I want to show you literally what I do when I get ready to make a big decision. <clears throat> we'll go back to the bluebell thing. We'll say it's the bluebell thing. I would write on the top of a piece of paper, opening up the bluebell thing. And I would write the word yes, no, and undecided. And I would begin, and I, I might do it for 10 days. And what I do is I, I literally, I'll use my cell phone or I'll use a watch, and I'll, I'll pray and I'll say, God, I want you to show me what you want me to do. I'm listening. I'm open. God, speak to me. And I will, I will literally, I'll try to, I try five, maybe five minutes at a time a day just to be quiet and each minute to write down what I believe the Holy Spirit's saying in my heart. And a lot of times it'll look like this. Maybe the first day there's two yeses, one no, and two undecideds, which means I have no idea what God wants me to do. And then as it goes on, you can see there's a, there's a one, a two, and a three. At the end of 10 days, I've done this for 50 minutes, for 50 minutes. Now, that, that may be a lot. It may not be a lot, but it's, it's a lot more than some people do it. And I can go back, and, and, and I get a consistency. And at the end of that 10 days, I can say, listen, I believe God is clearly speaking to me that this is not the right thing to do. I heard a preacher say years ago that when you begin to pray about something at first, a lot of times there's confusion. This is what I found out. Just leave that there for a minute, Brian. The, whole, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the author of what? Truth, correct? The devil is the author of what? Lies and confusion. And so here's what happens. As you begin to pray about something, the devil is going to get you all over the map. My experience, I'll be yes one day, no the next, yes, no, I don't know. But over time, you will hear the Holy Spirit because he's consistent, okay? And, and this is exactly what I found. And I've got notebooks full of these. And, and when, I have, when I have done what I believe God's led me to do, following this pattern, when I've been honest with myself, it's always gone the way it needed to be. When I violated that, I've always paid a dear price down the road. So you don't have to use my method, but, but it is a method. If you have another one that's better, that's great. See, here's the bottom line. You have got to hear what God is telling you to do, okay? I saw a quote this last week that said, the best sense is common sense. Doesn't that sound good? I'm sure some farmer said that somewhere. You know what? That's just not true. The best sense is God's sense. Amen? The best sense is not what you can discern or you can come up with. The best sense is what God is going to tell you to do. And, and you cannot find out what God wants you to do simply by just talking to other people or making a pros or cons list. And sometimes where the Bible's not specific, that's why the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth, that you've got to seek God, you've got to grind it out in prayer, and you've got to hear what God has got to say to you. Some of you operate like this. If the door is open, I'm going through it. That's God. Now, folks, hear me on this. The door has to be open. I can't tell you how many guys I've heard in the, in the past say, I believe God's leading me to marry that girl. And then they ask that girl on a date, and she says no. 
And that happens about eight times. And you know what I say? I believe God is not leading that girl to marry you. You know, the door has to be open, doesn't it? Correct? Correct? How many of you ever, if you're a little bit older, you ever thought, man, that God's leading me to this job, that's my job, and then you applied for it and didn't get it? <laughs> door has to be open. The door has to be open. But just because you have an opportunity does not mean it's God. Some people operate on that premises, and that is incorrect. Go home this afternoon and read Acts chapter 27. Please don't read it today. You'll hurt my feelings right now. Acts 27, Paul said, listen, the Holy Spirit is saying to these sailors, we do not need to set sail. But then a gentle wind began to blow, and they said, oh, this is our sign that we are to leave port. And they almost died at sea because of that. And Paul stood up in the middle of them and said, nah, 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 nah. I told y'all we shouldn't have done this. That was in the Greek, so you wouldn't understand that. But because the door is open doesn't mean it's God. The door has to be open, but, but it's not just an open door. You see, you make decisions... And your decisions make you. And if you want your life to be what it should be, you've got to, you've got to make God-led decisions. Now, here's the fifth thing, and I think this is real important too. God's leading will often not make sense. Okay? Uh, God's leading will often not make logical sense. In verse 16 through 19, these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, Peter, James, and John. The sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot. Guys, these were not logical choices. Peter was a hothead. James and John are called sons of thunder. Now, I'm going to be politically correct, but I want you to hear this meant cane raisers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. These were wild childs. Thomas was a doubter. Levi was a tax collector, and the Jewish people hated him. A guy named Simon the Zealot was a, he was a very zealous person who was trying to fight the Roman government. Him and Levi normally wouldn't have even been in the same room, and Jesus picks these guys. Eleven of them are from Galilee. That doesn't mean a lot to you guys, but I want to show you something on a map. There's Galilee. Palestine is divided in three areas. There's Samaria in Jesus' day, and there's Judea. There's Jerusalem. And the, it's about 70 miles apart from here to there. And that's a long way when you're walking. Never forget that. And, the, and the, the Jewish people down here really considered themselves better than the ones up there. They were closest to the temple. They were around God's holy city more. And so Jesus chooses 11 that right off the bat, the Jewish people were going to go, huh. Quite up to par. And guess what? There is one who is right up to par, and his name is Judas Iscariot. He is from Judea. He was so good and intelligent, he was chosen to be their treasurer. But everyone else did not make good sense. Folks, God is going to lead you, and you're not going to always understand it perfectly at first, and neither are those around you. Here's the reason why. And there's a hundred, but here's the reason. God sees what's going to happen ten years down the road better than you remember what happened yesterday. You ever thought about that? God sees what's going to happen ten years down the road better than you and I remember what happened last night. So if you're following God, 
He knows what's going to happen. You don't. And it's not going to always make sense, and that's fine. Here's the last thing. The evidence of good decisions are good, not perfect, but good results. I won't read it again, but here's, here's the results. Jesus chooses these 12. At times they fight about who's the greatest. At times they fight about who's going to sit at his right and his left hand in heaven. And here's the cool thing. They're fighting and Jesus turns around and goes, I know what you are thinking. <clears throat> Wouldn't that have been tough? <laughs> Every one of them betrayed him. Betrayed him at his hour of greatest need. They left. They ran off and left him. And Judas was the ultimate failure of them all. But guys, when all was said and done, those other 11 went out and changed the world. We're here this morning in part because of those 11 men. You ever thought about that? You go make decisions and your God-led decisions, there's going to be some pain. Everything's not going to always be perfect. Everything's not going to always be understood. But here's what will happen. You'll have peace in your heart. And over the long haul, you will see good, positive fruits and results. So you see, here's your decision today. If you make decisions and decisions then make you, what kind of decisions will you and I choose to make this morning and tomorrow and the rest of our lives? We better make the right ones. Let's pray. If you're a Christian today, maybe you are dealing with some decision and you're on the crux of knowing what you need to do. Man, obey God. Obey God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're unsure. Would you pray with me right where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son who died and who arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. Today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to sing.